All right, so we're picking back up in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Uh, just as a reminder, because it's been a little while since we've been back in 1 Corinthians with uh, some of the holidays and uh, guest speaker and things of that nature. So uh, from the middle of 1 Corinthians 10 through chapter 14, you really have uh, one idea in mind. It's the, the uh, message that Paul is giving about the meeting of the, of the church, the primary meeting of the church, which is to come together to remember Jesus, to pr- take the bread and the cup together, uh, to share in that fellowship. And the, the point here uh, is that in the church of Corinth, certain things were being done during that meeting w- that were dishonoring. And so Paul has to correct some things, and then he also has to set, this is how things you know, should be, and how things should be done in a way that honors Jesus. And at the end of chapter 12, pick up a verse 27. You don't need to turn there. I just want to set the scene for us this morning. He says, Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all workers of miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And then chapter 13 is what we refer to as a love chapter. It's often used at weddings and things like that. Uh, like that. But really the context of that 1 Corinthians 13 is love in the local church. That if love is not the heartbeat of you know, the meeting of the local church, then we are going to do all sorts of things that we shouldn't do. Um, our focus won't be on Jesus, and we will look to honor ourselves instead of looking out to honor others and looking out for what is best for the whole. Um, so it's in, that, it's in that context that then he comes back into chapter 14, and he sums it up with pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And we're going to talk more about that. But just a little bit more on that idea of love, because again, if, if we don't have that, if we don't have love for God, if we don't have love for one another, if we don't have love for those who are not yet followers of Jesus, who are still, as we once were, stuck in our sins, if we don't have love you know, being filled with it and pouring out of us, then we have missed the point. We become just a social club. We become, you know, and there's so many things in, in our society, even when we look around and they were started, you know, with, with noble intentions. You can, you know, University of Georgia, you can look at, at the history of, you know, most every fraternity and sorority. And at the beginning of it, the purpose was, you know, service and things like that. Well, now that's become just a tiny part and it's more about the party, right? So you can see how things change. Even churches have done that same thing. You had churches that were started, and the people who you know, first planted those churches were full into Jesus, and then somewhere along the way, the train gets off the track, and Jesus isn't the focus anymore. It's about keeping the organization going, as opposed to being about Jesus about loving God and loving people. 
And whenever that happens, it's a very terrible and dangerous thing, and it, but it can happen to any group, no matter how big or how small, or at any point in history. It could happen to any church. And so we need to be on guard with that. Do not think for one second that we couldn't fall into the same way, that we couldn't be distracted off of Jesus and onto other you know, secondary or you know, third or fourth sorts of things and lose the point. And so perhaps in 2014 you felt some drift in your own heart or you felt some drift uh, maybe even uh, collectively. Well, what do we do with that? We have to say, Lord, we're sorry, individually, collectively, whatever is necessary. And we, we, we move forward and we say, okay, we, we have this opportunity that God gives us seasons. And one of the reasons I think God gives us seasons because he gives us opportunity to turn the page and start a new chapter. And so as we have this 2015 that we've just begun, we have the opportunity to turn the page and to say, you know, Lord, what, um, what do you need to change in our hearts? What do you need to change in our, our minds? If we can ask the Lord to fill our hearts with his love, that our attitudes, our actions, um, our words would overflow with love towards God and towards one another. We have to understand that we have to be filled by God. We can't fill ourselves. But we have to, we have to be open to being filled. We have to, we're to be filled by God and then we're to be poured out. Now, and, and that being poured out is a very part, important part of this process. And this is all related to, you'll see this as we get into 14, this all is going to come together. But what do you have if you have, you know, water gets poured into a bucket, if it just sits in that bucket, what happens to that water? It, it gets stagnant, right? It gets, it gets nasty, and, and it's no longer good to drink. It, it no longer gives life. Instead, it actually can make you really sick. It can give you disease. It has to get poured out in order to fulfill its purpose. And then the bucket can what? Be filled up again, right? And so that's the same thing that's true with us. If we are being filled with love and being filled with the Holy Spirit, but we're not being poured out in worship and in service, then we become stagnant. And, we, and, and with that means we become toxic. We actually become toxic. We're of no good to those around us, the people who are around us who do sip from us because we're not being poured out. they, they got to go and sip, but they, when, just being around us, they naturally do that. They, they end up getting sick because we're toxic. That's what happens if we're not looking to be poured out as much as we are to be filled. You know, you hear people all the time being like, well, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm going to, you know, I, I need something different because I need to be filled more. I need to be filled more. But usually that's not the issue. Usually the issue is an unwillingness to serve others, an unwillingness to be poured out. Because never before has the church had access to so much when it comes to information, when it comes to knowledge, when it comes to inputs. Never before have people had so much opportunity for quality input. Input's not the issue. There has to be output in order to have growth. Okay. 
Again, that's just all it does. If it just gets filled up and not poured out and used, you gain some knowledge, you get some pride, and that's about it. Remember what Jesus taught. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Whatever, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall. Matthew seven, twenty-four through 27. So God fills us for the purpose of pouring us out. And if you don't get anything else this morning, get that. God fills us for the purpose of pouring us out. So how are you poured out? We're poured out in the church. We're poured out by the use of our spiritual gifts in the official meetings of the church through our informal fellowship. And we're poured out in our you know, places of work, our places of community. We're poured out in, in our service to the people around us, um, in our sharing of the good news of Jesus, um, in our generosity, in our kind words, in so many different ways. The focus, again, in this section is within the church and particularly in the meeting of the church. That's, again, the context of these chapters. So we want to look at it in that light primarily. But he says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So what does it, what does it mean to prophesy? You think, you know, prophecy and prophesy, just so you don't get confused there. Prophecy is a noun. And prophesy is a verb. That's really the only difference there is just how they're used. The C one is the one with the noun, and the S one is the one that's a verb, okay? So you've got that. But in the Old Testament, uh, we see prophecy as somebody being, you know, it has the idea of a burden, that somebody's burdened with a word from the Lord, a message directly from the word, from the God, and it's like an oracle of God, okay? We see similar things in the, in the New Testament, and oftentimes that the Old Testament is used, the quotation of the Old Testament is used, and making a you know, continued illumination of that for the context of the time, specifically in the light of Jesus. Okay, and so then the, the Word of God is given to us. We need to remember that at this point in the church in Corinth, they don't have... You know, they can't pick up a Bible like you and I can today. They have certain letters. They have the Old Testament, and they have certain letters, you know, from the from what is what we call the New Testament, but they don't have the whole thing. And so that comes into play of what types of prophecy is being given. Today, prophecy is more, again, it's a burden from God. It's led by the Holy Spirit, but it's going to have its foundation in the Word of God and the application of the Word of God to the current context and to the current situations, to the current uh, things that people are, are going through in the community. Okay, so it's, But it's going to be based on the Word, and it's never going to contradict the Word of God or be an addition to the Word of God. We have the fullness of the Scripture of God. And so we need to understand that when people, whenever somebody says, I have a new revelation from God, that is, that is your cue to go quickly in the other direction. Okay, that's 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 your that's your signal to all right, peace, you know, to you and I got to go this other way because we have the full the full word of God. But we do need to recognize that there are times 
I mean, hopefully even in the meeting as we come together, as we take the bread and the cup, as we worship, that people are burdened, that the Spirit of God presses on the hearts of individuals. This is what the community needs to hear from the Word of God. This is the encouragement and the edification that the church needs for the benefit of the whole, and that when you are prompted by the Holy Spirit, you would indeed participate and share in that way. There should be some burden, some oomph that comes with that of, I, I really need to share this, not, hey, I'd like just to be the one who gets to talk, you know, about this. Um, so it's, it has to come, again, from the Lord. So let's pick up by verse 2, we'll read verses 2 through 4. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God, for no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. Okay, now, just from those first few verses, you may think that the tongues mentioned there in verse 2 is an unknowable language or some sort of heavenly language. Want to reserve judgment on that until we get more into the passage, but just want to throw that out there as the different ways that people think about that. Want to set up a little bit of the biblical context of other passages where tongues are mentioned, so that we have some understanding of the normal use of the of the words, uh, and then we can kind of go from there. The, really, we see um, tongues being used uh, in a couple of different occasions that are really key in the Book of Acts. In Acts chapter 2, we have the, uh, the celebration of Pentecost where the Jewish people from all over the world would come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, because they had been dispersed into many lands, they knew many different languages. And so when they come together to Jerusalem to worship, the apostles being filled with the Holy Spirit and the, the others who are with them begin speaking in tongues. And the people are shocked and they say, we hear these people who are Hebrews, who are generally, you know, more, you know, one language and maybe, you know, like Hebrew and a little bit of Greek, but we hear them all speaking in our various tongues. And so that was evidence to them that this was the work, you know, of God. Now, to those who were stubborn and were unwilling, listen to that. You know, when you ever hear another language, sometimes it just sounds like a bunch of sounds, you know, like, if there's a language that you're familiar with, like, I, I'm, you know, familiar with Spanish, so when I hear Spanish, it sounds like a language to me. It sounds like something I, you know, recognize. But if somebody were to start, you know, speaking in Swahili or Chinese or something like that, I'm not nearly as familiar with those languages, so to me it's a, a bunch of noise. It's a bunch of sound. And so there were people there at Pentecost who were like, uh, they're all just, you know, making a bunch of gibberish. They're all just drunk. You know, that was their interpretation of the event. Okay, so we have that. Now, in Acts chapter 10 at Cornelius' house, we see Gentile, uh, be, these Gentiles come to believe in Jesus, and they speak in tongues. So this was evidence to the Jewish believers that the Spirit of God had come upon the Gentiles as well. In Acts 19, Paul travels to Ephesus. He meets some who were believers in Jesus, but had not heard about the Holy Spirit even existing. They were unfamiliar with that teaching 
at all. And so the Spirit of God came on them and they spoke in tongues as well. And that's really the beginning of the church in Ephesus and was also a sign of God's working among the people. So in the book of, of Acts, we see it as a tool for evangelism and a tool for confirmation that this is the work of God. And it's, you know, given in, you know, languages that were real languages that people could understand. Now, a note on the prophecy, he says, when one prophesies, he does so for edification. Edification is like encouragement. Uh, for exhortation, exhortation is a strong encouragement. It often has some correction within it, right? Uh, so that's correction. It's, it's got an oomph to it. Um, and then consolation or comfort. You know, the body of Christ and individual members of the body need different a different emphasis at different times. There are some times where you just need some encouragement. There are some times where you need some encouragement that's got some real correction behind it of, hey, that's not right. This is what's right, and we need to, we need to shift. And there's other times where you don't need any of that. You just need somebody to hug you and console you, to comfort you, right? Uh, so that's, uh, you know, th- there's different things needed at different times. And isn't it awesome that here... Uh, in the Word of God, this is this is so recognized our humanity and our need, and that we don't need the same thing in every situation, and, and that's really where we have to be led by the Spirit. There's not a cookie cutter approach. There aren't things given to us in the Scripture like, well, you know, in this situation, uh, it's just very simple A B C. You know, there's a there's a leading by the Spirit, and to know what, how to approach a particular person at a particular. Um, Tom, and we need to be aware of that, and not just and take the time to discern that with the Lord, and not just say, "Well, this is how this should be," and I'm going to go make sure that that gets done right, or that that person's corrected. Um, but taking time with the Lord. Okay, so let's move on then to verse six, and this is going to give us a little more help here, I believe. It says, "But now, brethren." If I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a foreigner, and the one who speaks will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Okay, so here we have again, um, you know, this illustration that's, that's given. You take a, a musical instrument, you know, if you just blow air into it, but without any purpose, it's, you know, it can end up being just a bunch of noise. Um, and it can actually even give the wrong idea at times. You know, if, if the bugles play, but it's not played in the way that the people know, hey, that's the signal to get ready for battle, and the people don't get ready for battle, well, then the enemy just comes in and, the, you know, people are wiped out. Um, so it's important that you know, there's able to be this distinction of tones to be able to recognize the music that's being played. And so I say, it's, you know, these, these languages, every one of them has, has a purpose. Every one of them has a purpose because 
there's someone in the world who knows that language and can hear the word of God in that language and can be, you know, the gospel can be shared with them in that language or they can be encouraged in the Lord in that language. But if you don't know the language, then how is that helpful for the rest of the church? If there's nobody there to interpret. Uh, think of it this way. If we have one of our friends from Mexico come and, uh, you know, he doesn't know English. He's just, obviously he has his native his tongue, his Spanish, and so he shares the word in, in Spanish. If there's no one that can interpret, he may feel good, like, hey, I've done a good job sharing you know, the word of God, but everybody else is going to be like, I- I'm sure he had some wonderful things to say, and you know, just seeing it over there is a little bit encouraging, but uh, it would have been so awesome if we had known what he was actually saying. But we, c- we couldn't know, and there was nobody here to interpret it for us. And so we were kind of just lost. You know, the the, the main benefit was lost on us. So what do we, what do, we do uh, with that? So he says to be zealous for spiritual gifts and to seek to abound for the edification of the church. So what's, it seems like what's happened here in the church of Corinth is that this idea of tongues um, has taken this kind of paramount place, this huge place um, in the meeting um, and people really like the spiritual gift. Now, we need to understand that spiritual gifts can be abused. Uh, and they can be misused. There's a difference between those two. Misuse is sometimes just done in, in ignorance. Abuse is done, you know, with ulterior mo- motive. Okay? Uh, and so there can be, a, there's abuse and there's misuse. We don't, you really want to avoid the abuse, but we also want to avoid the misuse, but it seems in, in this uh, setting, it says like, you know, you, well, you're a really spiritual person if, you know, you can speak in these different languages and the God's given you the, this, in this case, you know, basically a supernatural ability to do that, not just a, you know, I've learned this language through a lot of hard work, but a, a supernatural gifting to be able to, you know, speak in these different languages. Man, I, I really, I really like that. And so everybody wants that and everybody's trying to pursue that. And so it kind of is leading to this chaotic environment uh, that isn't edifying, it's not helping the church to grow. And that's obvious because of all the problems that we've seen already in the church in Corinth. If they had been you know, less emphasis on the gift of speaking in tongues and more emphasis on the prophesying of the correction and the edification and the comfort that they each needed, they wouldn't have had so much sin in the church and they would have had you know, more of a building up of the body. So, what's your motivation for desiring any sort of spiritual gift? What's your motivation for it? What's your purpose? But then in verse 13, we'll continue on. He says, Therefore, let one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. However, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so again here, it's an issue of of purpose and priority. 
do I, you know when I come you know to share you know with the church? Do, am I doing so for my own for my own benefit, for my own you know relationship with the God? You know, only that in view, or do I have in view the whole body and what the whole body needs? And that's really the focus and the conviction that he's trying to get. And so what I, I want, you know, tongues may not be so much of a big issue for us in our, in our church, um, but there's other areas where we can apply this same teaching, right? Whatever it is that we do do, you know, whether we sing or whether we uh, share the word or, you know, whether we give in words of encouragement, whatever it is, what is what is my purpose? And if it's if it's something that's really just only going to benefit me, then I can save that and just have that in my time with the Lord. But if it's something that can benefit the whole, then I shouldn't withhold that. You know, and I, I honestly I think that that's more of our issue. It is not so much that people are saying, "Well, I want to be out here, you know, front and center." You know. That may become a problem in any person's heart at one point or another that, you know, you have to check your motivations and check your heart. But as a general rule, I don't think that's a big problem for us. I, I do think sometimes we have people not sharing and withholding because, you know, well, I don't really like to, I don't want to be the focus of attention or I don't really like talking publicly in front of other people. So I'm just going to, something that would benefit the whole body, I'm just going to kind of tuck it away and stick it in my pocket. That can be a problem. We don't want to do that. We want to, you know, if the Lord burdens your heart and, and asks you to share it, don't resist that. But be willing to, even if it takes you out of your comfort zone. Because again, the point isn't any one of us as an individual. It's the whole body. But what you find is, it's a really interesting thing. People are like, I want to grow, I want to grow. Well, as soon as your focus is less on growing... And what's good for you, and you focus on serving others, you know, there's a surprising thing that happens. You grow. It's kind of crazy. But as soon as you stop thinking all the time of like, you know, I got to grow, I got to grow, I got to grow, and just focus on God and other people, that's the byproduct. The spiritual growth is the byproduct of that. It's the natural fruit of that in your personal life. But, you know, we, we're in a consumeristic culture, and we're in a consumeristic church culture where, you know, somehow along the line, we got this great idea of, you know, if we just make things really easy for everybody, and if we do everything for everybody, so we constantly spoon-feed and just keep doing this infant thing, where we just constantly shovel it in here, 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 that somehow that's going to produce a mature church, doesn't work. doesn't work at all. And so we've got to change it up and, and get to the heart of it of, man, our purpose is to love God and to love people and you know, just to follow Jesus. And there's some pretty neat benefits that happen along the way when we do that. But that motivation has got to shift. Because you can't also just take it, well, well, now I know the secret. <laughs> you know, now I know the secret. The secret is to focus all the people, and then I get what I want, which is the good stuff for me. Well, don't you think the Lord's a little smarter than that? So, you know, you can, you're not going to outcraft God. 
he's, he's pretty much knows all the moves. He knows all the moves. All right. So let's, let's go on. So what, what I want to get at here is if you take the view of, um, you know, that if you take the view that there are these heavenly languages or there are these, you know, these uh, languages of the Spirit that don't have anything to do with languages here on earth, you know, I think the burden of, of proof is on the people who take that position, you know, based on how we see tongues used throughout the scriptures. Um, but what would be clear here is that those, those, that type of tongues would not benefit the whole body because, you know, if there's, not a, if there's not an interpretation, if there's not a way to speak it in plain language, at least after the fact. Um, so that normally that would be best reserved for one's own private deal with God. If that's the position that one takes on that, or if that's one's, you know, you know experience. I've learned a long time ago, it's really hard to argue with people's experiences. People say, well, I've experienced X, Y, and Z. I was like, well, what can I really say about that? You know, so, I, you know, that's, that's not a fight I want to pick, you know, personally. Um, you know, but I would say that the teaching here is pretty, pretty clear about, you know, in the church of, you know, what is edifying. Um, yeah, I, I had an experience when I was in fifth grade. I was at a school where speaking in tongues was very common, you know, um, activity in the, in the chapel experiences. And it wasn't one person at a time, and there was never an interpretation. It was always, you know, multiple people, and they weren't real languages. They were just these utterances, you know, that were given. I, I would venture to say that's not edifying. You know, it, it was a misuse uh, it could, you know, potentially an abuse, but definitely a misuse. That's an example of misuse. And we see even as the scripture goes on, it says, you know, one, if, the, if people are speaking in tongues, it's one at a time and followed by an interpretation. Uh, and if there's not that, then it's, then it's not appropriate. And so we do have guidelines that help us. Um, even for those of us who have, you know, perhaps grown up in environments where we're generally more skeptical. You know, it's, I've, I've actually found people that have, grown up in environments where there's a huge emphasis on speaking in tongues to be sometimes more skeptical than others because they saw the misuse or the abuse of it and therefore are you know really kind of like eh, I'm not sure I want to go there you know so we need to um, you know obviously we want to have you know charity and, and love and, and think well of all as best we can um, but we want to be careful. Uh, that we, again, seek the edification of the church and that that's our primary goal and that we do things according to that standard. Does it edify? Does it build up the church as a whole? Okay, verse 20. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. And the law is written, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet for all that, they will not hear me. That's from Isaiah 28, 11 and 12. Uh, says the Lord. Therefore, you know, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God 
and report that God is truly among you. So here Paul again, he's already said this basically, but he reemphasized that the normal use of tongues is a sign for you know, unbelievers or a sign for, you know, it's used for evangelism and it's used for evidence you know, of the work of God. Um, the context is, is usually evangelistic and not um, you know, in, the, in the meetings of the, of the church because somebody coming in to the church at Corinth where they're going to be speaking Greek if there's a lot of languages being spoken, again, that the person has no identification with, they're going to be like, man, that's kind of what in the world is going on here. That's not going to be helpful for that person, for either the unbeliever or for the novice. Uh, so then the person who comes in, um, but here's you know, the prophesying, and hearing, here's the word of God explained, um, and exo- you know, the exhortation of the word of God, and his heart is exposed of his own sin, his own um, recklessness, you know, with God, he's going to recognize that and says, fall on his face and worship God and report that God is truly among you. You know, and there's been times in here in, in our church where someone has come in who's, you know, not been a believer and they've said things like, you know, it, it's obviously something really spiritual going on here. I heard that a number of different different times in that, kind of push towards God. Um, and, and, you know, that's, an, that's often a sign, you know, when, we're, when that happens, you know, we're worshiping well. You know, we're worshiping well, and you, you want that. Uh, we want more of that as people witness um, true worship. And true worship is going to be in spirit and in truth. It's not going to be a cold, dispassionate, you know, rote, this is what I do on a Sunday morning. I mean, that's, what's that? You know, it's not going to be that. Uh, but it's also, it's going to have order to it. It's going to have purpose behind it. Uh, it's going to be in spirit and in truth. It's going to have both of those aspects uh, together. Uh, and love is going to be the tenor of the whole thing. And so when we have that, it's really beautiful. When we don't have that, it's like, man, something's missing. And I hope that we recognize it. I hope that we grow in our discernment that we recognize and at least somebody, you know, have the boldness when that's happening to, to say, we're not really worshiping, we're just kind of singing. You know, and we want to be careful because we know, you know, worship, sometimes emotionalism and worship can get confused. And you can kind of know, even musicians know that if they play certain chords and certain things together and do a certain thing a certain way, that they can get people to an emotional state. We're not trying to do that. We're not trying just to get ourselves to an emotional place. We really actually want to worship God from the depths of our heart, from the depths of our being. And yes, there's emotion involved with that, the mind involved with that as well. Um, but you know, we, we want that you know, really from the, from the depth of our souls um, that have been saved by God. All right. So that's going to be a good spot for us to uh, wrap it up this morning. There at the end of twenty-five, about that you know person coming in, we'll worship God and report that God is truly among you. Man, that's what that's what we want, isn't it? People worshiping God, reporting that God is really is really among us in the true presence of God. That we are worshiping our Savior and King Jesus. 
Emmanuel. I've been thinking about that a lot, you know, here as we've had the Christmas season. You know, Emmanuel, God with us. And it's really interesting, when Jesus calls his disciples, it says that he calls disciples that he might be with them. You know, there's sometimes a lot of power in a little preposition. But that Jesus would be with them. What does that mean to you this morning? What does that mean to you in your life? That Jesus desires to be with you. He's, he's not, you know, God, our God is not just some you know, distant entity that we pay homage to or that we pay our respects to or we come with our, our praise because if we, you know, we're afraid that if we don't, you know, something bad's going to happen or whatever else. Jesus, you know, wants to be with us. Intimate, close fellowship. He wants to be with us. And what a blessing that we have with that. So this 2015, it's a year that, you know, we don't know how much of it we have. You know, it, it, it might all end tomorrow. I don't know. But however much we have of it, it's an opportunity to glorify God. It's an opportunity to glorify God. It's an opportunity to be filled with the Spirit of God and to be poured out in praise back to Him. Filled again, poured out, you know, in, into, our, into our community for the sake of Jesus. Uh, Steve Nelson, one of the missionaries we support, uh, he and his wife Danelle, we support them. And uh, they spoke at the end, of, uh, the end of 2014. He was just giving us an encouragement to be more eager to share our faith and to kind of, you know, take away some of, the, some of the stigma attached to it to sharing our faith. But there was a line that he said that stuck with me, and, you know, we've heard it before, and, and you know, we see it in the scriptures, but uh, in terms of the, the heart of it, the heart of the line. But he said, you know, we are, just, we are just beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. And there's a humbleness with that that's really beautiful. You know, we're not these people who are like, Hey man, we have we have it all figured out. We're so much superior. We're so much wiser. We're so much smarter. So much this, that, and the other thing. It's like no, we're beggars. We were shown where bread was, and we found it. It's Jesus, and and there's plenty of him to go around. There's plenty of bread for you too. I mean, that's awesome. That's just an awesome thought. There's plenty of bread to go around. Uh, Jesus is there for you, and and you know He wants to use us. He wants to use our lives. Um, but with that, you know, we each have giftings. We each have our, our own giftings. So, what are you going to do with your spiritual gifts in 2015? What are you going to do with your spiritual gifts in 2015? You've got a couple of options. You can squander and just you know kind of ignore them. Just go. Well, that's that. You can misuse for one's own pleasure. Okay? You can misuse your gifts for your own, just focus on yourself with it. Or you can use it for the edification of the body and for the, the benefit of other people. So which one of those will it be? Um, you know, as we talk about spiritual gifts, and this was in the last email that we sent out, if you're not on that e- email list, please let uh, me or Michael know and we'll get you um, put on there. 
But we have a, a spiritual gifts testing um, that we have a tool that we use that's really good. It's, it's you know, people will usually take it. it. It does several different types of assessments, your spiritual gifts, but also personality um, and leadership style and things like that. Uh, but the, how you would work in a team. But the, uh, the thing about that is that, you know, most people that take it say, oh, I see that. That's obvious. I should have realized that, like if they were kind of didn't know before. Or if they already had a pretty good idea with it, it's like, well, that, that pegged me, you know, to a T. It's, it's, it's pretty accurate. Um, so that we make available for free. When you click on it, though, you do need a registration code, and we can give you that. So just ask for it, and we'll get you what you need uh, for that. But we want you to take that. And then we have our advance coming up here in a couple of weeks where the whole church, um, you know, will be in Gainesville for a, a few days uh, for the Martin Luther King weekend. And that's going to be a really great opportunity to dig in together and to, you know, put more, you know, work to that and legs to that and hopefully provide people with more places and, and opportunities to be using, you know, your spiritual gifts um, within the church. So please plan on being, you know, at that um, if you haven't already signed up. We, we need you to sign up and, and to do that. Uh, so those are the, the things with that as we look to strive to put Jesus first in everything this year. Amen? Um, so we're going to have our time to take the bread and the cup and for us to practice this. You know, a, little bit, a few verses down um, in the Corinthians passage, it talks about, you know, when you come together, one of you has, you know, a, a psalm, you know, one of you has a teaching, one of you has this. And so this is what we do. You know, we try to follow the scripture um, as best we can. We're not perfect. But as a church, we try to follow it. Um, and so that's, you know, dictates who we are, what our purpose is, um, how we're organized as a church, what we do when we meet together. We try to get it all from the Word, because um, where else should we go to look for that, right? It's kind of obvious, but we miss it so many times. Well, we go to the Word for that. And so in the Word, people are coming together for the purpose of what? To remember Jesus. And with that, there's such a great past, present, future with it. You look to the past, you remember what Jesus did on the cross for us, that he died, that he rose again, that he gives life to everyone who calls on his name. Um, We look to the present, and we say, Lord, examine my heart. Is there anything here that shouldn't be? And we deal with that, and we confess our sins. And we encourage one another, and we comfort one another. And we think, you know, here we are. How are we going to live this week? In light of taking that bread and that cup, what difference does that make in how I live the rest of the day and what I do Monday through Friday through Saturday before I come back again and take it again together? What, what, what does that put me towards? Okay, and then the future. Hey, Jesus is going to come back. He's going to return. He's going to set up his reign as king. And man, I am ready sooner than later. Because when Jesus, when everything is all said and done, and I'm talking about done, 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 final said and done, and Jesus wipes away every tear from our eye, and there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more death and destruction, there's no more famine, there's no more wars, we have eternity with God together. Bring that on. Bring that, you know, we say, we say two things. We say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Lord, please come. Like, we want the Lord to come back. But we also understand something very important with that. And that there's a, that when 
when we have the return of Lord of the Lord at a point in time for those who haven't come to know him yet, that time is over. That opportunity where, hey, there's free bread, it's Jesus, come and take, that it's closed. Uh, when I was, we were up in Chicago visiting my sister's family um, over the break, and um, we decided to have, you know, while we're in Chicago, myself, one of those, you know, they call it stuffed pizza, you know, like a deep dish pizza, but it's deep dish pizza, you know, it's like this. And so we, I go to pick one up, you know, at the, from the chain that's the most famous one up there, and we're going to enjoy this big, big pie together. And um, while I'm waiting in line, the place is like packed, and so this guy standing, he's, you know, local guy, we guy had been in, there for a while, and he's like, man, I've never seen it this busy. I guess people, you know, it's right after Christmas, you know, people are not wanting to cook, not wanting to do anything, so everybody's going to get their stuffed pizza, right? And um, he happened to be, uh, have, have lived, he was from Alabama originally, but then happened to be from like Gainesville, Florida, and so we start talking football and you know, this and that, of course, what it's going to do, we're waiting for pizza, and, and uh, you, know, we're, you know, we're here from Athens, so we get a little, little fun talk going on with that, and then, um, you know, and, and he had used some colorful language, and on and on, and then he says, so what do you do? <laughs> yeah, so, of course, I have to tell him, and then he's kind of, you know, he's a little bit sheepish or whatever, you know, he's an older guy, he's a little bit sheepish, he's like, yeah, my, my son's into that, he's actually a he planted a couple churches in New York City, and um, you know he's he's always trying to talk to me about that stuff and everything. And I was like, well, that's good. And it, you know, from the conversation, I can see that his son had you know is going things about the right way. But he he was making this joke. He, his son was actually first in his class from University of Illinois in engineering. And he's like, you know, he says, I say to my son all the time, you're really smart. Why don't you at least go and work for a few years, make a lot of money. Then, you know, we'll go back to Alabama, I'll scout things out, we'll just buy a church, and then we'll really rake in the money, you know, he's like, and my son's like, dad, that's terrible, you know, we can't, you can't do anything, you know, like that, um, and, uh, you know, so as the conversation went on, it, it, it ended this way, um, he, he's, he says, you know, after I'm trying to encourage him towards Jesus a little bit, he says, well, I, I know you all are still saving it, you know, there's, there's a seat you know, save for me. And I said, I said, yeah, you know, but you, you might want to get in that seat pretty soon. Because like, you, don't, you don't know when that train's going to leave the station. And then you can't get on that seat anymore. You know, it was basically the heart of it. Those weren't the exact words. But, um, you know, he's like, yeah, you know, your time is short. And being a little bit older guy, he was like, yeah, you're right. But you know what? Time can be short for any of us. We just don't know. And we don't know how long the people around us have. Because we're driving through Illinois, it's like 986 people have died this year in Illinois in car accidents. I'm like, man, almost 1,000 people just woke up that morning, got in their cars, some of them kids, some of them elderly, some of them middle-aged, some of them teenagers, some of them college students, some of them moms, dads, whatever, they got in their car just going, you know, I'm going to go through my normal day, I'm going to do my thing, whatever that is, and they didn't go home. They didn't go home. A thousand of them in one state in one year. Almost a thousand. And we go, you know, you don't know. 
And, and, and that should just give us a, a real emphasis. And we don't know when the Lord's coming back. We don't know a lot of things. But we do know that we can offer people bread while there's still time. And I hope that we get a little bit more intentional about that. Because I, I feel like in this last year, we've been a little bit inwardly focused. And we haven't been on game like we really should be. And that there's repercussions for that. And so I hope that we collectively, because one person, no one person, whoever it is, or no two people or whatever, whoever it is in the church can just say, well, I'm going to change all that and fix all that, and we're going to be more evangelistic as a church. We're going to be more into outreach as a church. No. It's got to be a whole body thing. And so, you know, some of you I know, you're counting down the days even to your graduation. You're not going to be in Athens anymore. Hey, worry about tomorrow tomorrow what's coming down the road then, right? But today, you still live here. You might live here for a while. You might live here just for a few more months, whatever. I don't know. You might not know. You probably don't know. But while you're here, be here. Invest here and don't, don't do the, well, I'm just looking forward to the next step junk that so many people do. Be here if you're going to be here. And let's live it together. A lot of opportunity for us. Let's live it together. Jesus, please help us, we pray. In your precious name, we ask you as we remember you, as we take the bread and the cup, Lord, we need you. We need you with us, close to us, in our hearts and our spirits, Lord. We need you. Lord, please help our worship to never be cold, to never be stagnant, to never be routine, to never just be based on an emotionalism or a frenzy of some sort, Lord, but that we would strive for you, dear Jesus. We would worship you in spirit and in truth, and we would love you. We would love the body of Christ, and we would love those who are not part of it yet. We would seek to share your love with all. Lord, help us help 2015 to be a year of putting others first, putting you first, putting others before us. Lord, help our year to be about that. In your name, Jesus, we ask you and praise you. Amen.